I know a lot of people had plans that changed over the last few years. I'm sure things have changed here for many of you, and I know they changed for me. I, I didn't expect, those of you who know me, I, I didn't expect in 2018 to have my back completely go and end up in a wheelchair for three years. And that, that time of suffering, it, it taught me a few things. Um, mostly it taught me how unlike Jesus I am, <laughs> um, which for many of us, that's what suffering does. Because we, we see how Jesus handled suffering. And then when we experience it, we don't always handle it with, with such grace and courage as, as Jesus did. Um, sometimes, sometimes that's the most valuable thing we can learn from suffering, though, is that we are not as perfect as Jesus, and we need him to sanctify us, and to mold us into his image. So I want to go to our passage this morning, which is Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. But we see him for who who, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thus far the reading of God's word. I want to pray just one more time. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that um, you would give me the words to share in, in presenting it to your people, Lord. I pray that we would be nourished by your word, that your word would be... Um, Lord, I pray that your word would, would penetrate our hearts, that it would change us from the inside out, that it would teach us your ways and show us um, how we are to live. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is a really complicated passage. It says a few things that are, uh, are really hard to imagine. It says that the founder of our faith was made perfect through suffering. Oh, what could that even mean? Is that saying that Jesus wasn't perfect? No, the Bible's really clear. He lived a sinless life. Um, he, he never once sinned, which is hard for us to imagine. We're sinful people. I, I, I know I have sinful thoughts and sinful desires and, and, and have committed sinful acts. We all have that shared experience. So what does this mean when it says Jesus was made perfect through suffering? Well, to start off, we should probably define what suffering is. If you look in a dictionary, you know, or look it up on dictionary.com, it's going to say something to the effect of suffering is uh, undergoing pain, distress, or hardship. It's to experience or to be subjected to something that's bad or unpleasant. Um, sometimes it'll say that uh, you know, we, we can refer to something that's, that's getting worse as it's suffering. So um, the quality of something being diminished. Um, we can identify that as suffering. And for us personally, we experience different types of suffering. There's physical suffering. We experience pain, discomfort. There is emotional, psychological, mental suffering, um, whether it be mental illness or, um, or just the stress of life, the worries of this world. There's relational suffering. Whenever we have strained relationships, whether it be with a spouse or with um, with our children or with parents or siblings or loved ones or friends or coworkers, there's there's different suffering that can come when we're relating with one another. And there's also spiritual suffering that comes in the form of temptation. Sometimes it comes in the form of our failures and as we fall and sin and fall short of God's glory. Those are all types of suffering. Elizabeth Elliot, some of you may know who she was. Um, she was a, a missionary to Ecuador. Her husband was, was martyred by a people group she went on to go move in with and live and serve. And she said, suffering is having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. I think that defines it pretty well. Um, I know whenever I found out that I was born with, with some birth defects in my spine that put me in a wheelchair, that was something I did not want to have. Um, and I'm sure that if you think about your own life, there are things that you have right now that you don't want and things that you don't have that you want. And both of those are forms of suffering. So once we know what suffering is, and we, and we recognize we all experience it. It's important to see that Jesus, he didn't leave us in our suffering. That God looked down and saw us broken image bearers, right? He made us in the beginning, in his image, according to his likeness. And he created us to be in relationship with him. But then through our sin, our shortcomings, our failure, we ruined our relationship with God. And that caused us to suffer. 
And we look at the different kinds of suffering we experience in life. I mean, physical suffering, ultimately everybody experiences that in some form or fashion. Even if you live a life that is extremely healthy and you don't suffer a lot of ailments, one day you're going to die. And that in itself is a form of suffering brought on by this fallen world that we live in. I promise it's going to get cheerier here shortly. (laughs) Um, But the Bible right here, this passage we just read, it redefines what suffering is, what it means. In verse 9 it says, We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Right here, suffering is redefined. It's redefined as, an, as a means of Christ's victory. He obtained victory over our greatest foes. Sin, death, the grave. He obtained victory over those how? Through suffering. And then verse 10 and 11, it says that, that he was made perfect through suffering and that we have the same source of sanctification. He sanctifies us through suffering. But because it's a source of sanctification, sanctification means cleansing. That means that that suffering is not punishment from a God who is angry at us. God's not angry at you. I know sometimes that's hard to believe, especially when you're going through suffering. But in actuality, it's, he's not angry with you. It's not, it's not punishment from a God who's angry at you. It is correction from a father who adores you. Sometimes the suffering in our life is the thing that we need the most because it's the thing that, that brings us to the foot of the cross. Another thing that this redefines it as is a source of knowledge and understanding. Suffering is a great teacher. And here it says that Jesus, because he himself suffered when being tempted, he is able to help those who are also being tempted. We gained something. Through Jesus' suffering, we gained something. He became the perfect priest for us. The perfect priest. One who knew no sin, but yet became sin for us. Who had our sins placed upon him. So there's different kinds of knowledge. Uh, Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans, he, uh, I don't re- believe in reinventing the wheel. And he, he once shared um, concerning this passage something that I, that I found really helpful in understanding it. He said that, uh, you know, like, we understand that God knows everything, right? He, he has all knowledge. But there's a difference between knowing something intellectually and experiencing something. There's an experiential knowledge. You can know that honey is sweet, but until you've tasted its sweetness, you don't really know that it's sweet. Does that make sense? And so Jesus, God, right? God Almighty from all eternity, he He knows what suffering is. And he knows what sin is, but Jesus never committed a sin. He doesn't have that knowledge of it. Does that make sense? So 
For instance, I remember the first time I told a lie. I remember I was four years old. I lied to my father. Um, I, uh, I told him there was a, uh, I don't know if you remember those old metal cans. I'm going to date myself a bit here. Those old metal cans of oil. So there was one in the garage, and uh, it was conveniently sitting near my father's hatchet. And uh, I decided to see what would happen when the two met. <laughs> and I ended up covered in oil. Filthy, right? I told my dad I stepped on it. <laughs> I remember the feeling I got at that moment. It was a feeling of guilt. And I know all of us have felt that as well. Jesus never did anything to be guilty of, but yet he was condemned as if he were guilty and punished as if he were guilty, so he experienced it. You see? So he gained knowledge, experiential knowledge, that makes him a perfect priest for us. The way John Calvin put it is that in the incarnation, Jesus put on not just our flesh, but our feelings. In Hebrews 4, 15, just one, one passage forward, or two passages forward, it says, um, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus The Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Now, I'll tell you, suffering brings along its own set of temptations. It can tempt you to despair. It can tempt you to sin. There's an old saying, right? Give me neither poverty nor riches, because there's sin in both of those camps, right? We understand our own weakness and frailty. We understand the fact that we are, we are easily, easily deceived. In the garden, all it took was a piece of fruit. We have much more glamorous things around us than fruit these days. But Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. The word sympathy actually has the same... Root. It's, the, it's part of the same, same word group as the word suffering in Greek. And it means to feel, to share feelings with somebody, to have a shared feeling. And so when we suffer, when we're being tempted, it says that Jesus understands that because he has been tempted. He sympathizes with us. He shares our feeling. You understand? He shares that feeling with us. He knows what it's like. He has experienced things that that God on high never would have experienced. But then in the incarnation, Jesus comes and experiences those things. So we have a priest, a high priest who is sinless, who doesn't have to offer sacrifices for himself. And so instead he spends all of his time interceding for us. So Jesus redefines what suffering is. It becomes not a, not a thing that leads to death, but a thing that leads to his victory. And not, a, not an instrument of your destruction, but an instrument of sanctification. And not a source of, you know, in, in the garden, right? How many of you have ever prayed a prayer and just got nothing, right? You feel like, God, are you even hearing me? But we have Jesus in the garden praying and being met with silence. He knows what that's like. And so when we pray to him, we're praying to somebody who's sympathetic to that. 
Sometimes the knowledge we gain, like I said earlier, is just the understanding that we're not like him. And that should drive us to his feet. Chapter 4 finishes out by saying, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus redefines what suffering means. And Jesus redeems suffering. Let's look at the the different types of suffering Jesus endured. The, The word tells us that he was led out into the desert to be tempted. I'm sure Jesus' temptations were different than ours in some, some respect. I mean, imagine being the only perfect person in a fallen world. That's a level of pain all its own, one that none of us have ever experienced because none of us even come close to perfect. But Jesus was perfect and had to live in a fallen world. That in itself must have been unbearably hard. But when he suffered temptation, he didn't fall. He, he said, and he gave us an example. When Satan tempted him, he said, it is written. And by example, we can do the same. When tempted, we can say, it is written. And Jesus, he changed what happens when we suffer. Right, so Jesus, right, he, he was betrayed by one of his friends. And somehow, through that betrayal, what happens? The, recreation, the reconciliation between our relationship with God. See, like, he suffered in his relationships. That's a form of suffering. And yet, the end of that was the reconciliation of our relationship with God. He, he suffered ridicule, false accusations, if you've ever been the subject of gossip, Jesus definitely knows what that's like. Uh, he came from a small town. I'm sure everybody knew everybody, and I'm sure not everybody bought the virgin birth narrative. I'm sure he understands. It's like to be the subject of gossip. We know people ridiculed him and said, isn't this the son of Joseph? Why is he saying he comes from God? <laughs> people ridiculed him. They didn't believe him. And Jesus was eventually falsely tried. He was arrested, falsely accused, and tried. He knows what that's like. So we can trust his judgment. The Bible says at the end of all things, he's going to come and judge. And we can trust that his judgment will be fair and true because he knows what it's like to be misjudged. In our lives, we experience different kinds of suffering, different causes of suffering, suffering that's caused by our own actions. Now, Jesus, he never did anything wrong. But in this world, sometimes you'll suffer for doing the right thing. Sometimes you'll suffer because of somebody else's actions, completely beyond your control. And sometimes you'll suffer just because we live in a fallen world. But Jesus takes all that suffering and flips it on its head. He literally flips the script on suffering. 
Because instead of destruction, the betrayal leads to restored relationship. Instead of, you know, we have a, we have a record of, of Christ's life. We know he lived a perfect, sinless life and that he proved it. I mean, look at how he suffered when he was hanging on the cross, right? After people accusing him, falsely accusing him, falsely convicting him, and then jeering and mocking him and beating him and all of the suffering that he went through, not deserving any of it. And how does he respond? Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Imagine if we were able to respond to suffering the same way. But that's what this is telling us, is that Jesus, because he redefines and redeems suffering, he gets to repurpose it in your life. Romans chapter 5 starts off and it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He repurposes our sufferings. It goes from being something that's going to destroy you, something that is oppressing or, or keeping you back. You know, I, uh, my friends often make fun of me a little bit for uh, baiting and switching my wife, right? I, when, when, when we began dating over 20 years ago, I was a college athlete. I was kind of a preppy guy. Now she's married to an overweight, bearded, tattooed guy who was in a wheelchair for three years, right? Um, there's some things I'm never going to do again. Running, off the, it's, it's off the table. So there's, there's an aspect in which I lost something, right? But somehow that losing isn't, isn't really, a, really a loss, Somehow God's working in it to do something in me. Because before he does works through us, he does works in us. And a lot of times that work happens through suffering. That doesn't mean that suffering sucks any less. It's never fun to go through. And... This year, you know, I would love to be able to stand up and say, hey, 2023 is going to be your best year ever. I can't promise you that. For some of you, it might be. It might be a wonderful year. But even if it is, 2024 might not be, or 2025, 26. (laughs) Suffering is going to come at some point. And so will the death of this physical body. But on the other side of that, because of the promise of Christ, because of what we see with him, we know that on the other side of suffering unto death is not death, it's resurrection. It's new life. It's eternal life. He repurposes our sufferings. What are you suffering with today? 
Or are you suffering with some sort of an ailment? Maybe it's even a secret one. Maybe it's someone, one we can't see. One of the advantages when I was in a wheelchair was that people knew I couldn't lift things. <laughs> Whenever you're healthy looking again, people assume, right? Sometimes our suffering is hidden. That doesn't make it any less real. Sometimes, some of you may be suffering with a temptation that's really strong. It seems like it's just going to drag you down. And you even worry, can God still love me because of this? The Bible says, take it to Jesus. He's there for those who are tempted and tried. Because he's been tempted, he sympathizes with your weaknesses. He feels what you feel. And he cares about you. One other thing Elizabeth Elliot said that I found remarkable. She said, suffering is a gift. It's a gift that Jesus gives us so we can give it back to him. It's a gift he gives us so we can give it back to him. The prophet Isaiah, he said, he spoke about our righteous deeds as rags, right? That if we brought our righteous deeds before the Lord, it'd be filthy rags. That we really don't have anything of substance to offer God. But then he gives us something. He gives us suffering. Suffering that we can lay back down at his feet. And he receives it. And he changes it and transforms it and repurposes it. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And it doesn't mean that it's not okay to cry when it does. And it doesn't mean you have to put on a brave face and, and pull up your bootstraps, you know, and, and pick yourself up off the ground and walk around like you're, like you're on top of the world. No. No, it's okay to humbly but boldly go before the throne of grace. Go to the feet of cross to, to take. If all you have is your suffering and failure, if all you have is your temptations that you don't think you can overcome, if that's all you've got to lay at his feet, lay it there. He will receive it. He will redeem it. And he will repurpose it. And he will use it for his glory and for your good. And ultimately, to bring about restoration and life, not death. Let's pray.